Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Disclaimer time. This is where I tell everyone to lighten up. It's just a podcast. Trading is like that roller coaster at the amusement park. Thrilling, unpredictable, and potentially stomach-churning. What works for one person might leave another clutching their hat in the wind. Our hosts and guests, they're awesome, knowledgeable, full of insights, but we're not financial advisors. So don't rush to make any investment decisions based solely on our banter. Always consult with a professional or do your own research. Plus, let's face it, we like to have fun, laugh, enjoy the trading ride together. It's all in the name of good podcasting fun. So remember, take it easy, don't bet the farm, and keep your seatbelts on at all times. Thank you for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the China Shop, home of the band of traders. I am your host, Kyle, and joining me today is the founder and CEO of Market Taker Mentoring, Dan Passarelli. Dan has also authored two books on options trading, Trading Option Greeks, and The Market Taker's Edge. So there's plenty for you to check out after listening to today's interview. But before we get into that conversation, please feel free to reach out with any suggestions, corrections, or questions for future guests. You can do that via email at bandoftraderspodcast at gmail.com, or you can join our free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. And if you'd like to learn more about how Dan trades and what he has to offer, you can visit markettaker.com or grab a copy of one of the aforementioned books. All those links will be in the episode description, so you can explore them after we get to know Dan. Speaking of which, how are you doing today? Hey, Kyle, I'm doing great. Uh, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, how did you get started in the markets? Like, how did that journey kick off for you? Yeah. So my uh, journey into trading started, uh, well, kind of a long time ago, but uh, it's okay. You know, yeah, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but after uh, college, I graduated with a bachelor's degree. Um, I was in Chicago, and I printed up a stack of resumes, which I don't know if that's really even a thing anymore, uh, put on a suit, which is also not a thing. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I literally knocked on every door of the Chicago Board of Trade Building, handed out those resumes, <laughs> and uh, ended up getting myself a job as a what they call a runner, which is a totally entry-level position. Uh, so I was down on the trading floor and that's the guy that like takes the orders from upstairs and runs down to the floor and tells the guy what to execute at. Yeah. And typically gets yelled at, uh, on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> right. Not fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> Not fast enough, too fast, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, then, you know, I just, I, I was down on the trading floor and, and I learned, I, I learned from other traders who were really great traders, uh, printing money and some who were clerks just like me trying to figure it out together mm -hmm. and eventually worked my way up. I found myself a, a backer and, um, became one of the biggest traders in my pit. 
Really? And uh, yeah, that, that's that's how I got into the trading side of this. So you said you went to college, but I'm guessing you probably didn't go to college for trading, right? Because <laughs> I haven't really seen a whole lot of coursework uh, that that's offered at the institutions for this kind of stuff. No, there really isn't. Uh, and you know what? I don't. I don't actually even talk about this, but I took an option. I, I, I was a finance major, mm-hmm. uh, and my options and futures class was my worst class. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, truth be told, it was like, you know, the last semester, senior year, I'm going to graduate anyway. Uh, okay. I, I had a D going into the final exam and uh, still ended up with like a B in the class. I just, I, I must've got every question right on the exam. I finally applied myself. <laughs> <laughs> I used to, I, I've always been good at test taking, but never so good at doing the coursework. So the tests are always what kept my averages up. So. <laughs> Sorry. It's actually kind of funny because I, I remember talking to somebody who does a lot of like agricultural stuff and he had actually mentioned that like farmers seem to get like a better education on the futures market because they have to use it for hedging their, you know, their crops. Like they have like a real need for, for actually knowing how to, to, navigate those markets. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I got a little bit into that end of it uh, a while back. I mean, most of my trading career has been in uh, equity options, stock mm-hmm. options. Yeah. Uh, but I, I traded corn options for a while and uh, had a little bit of, a, of an experience learning how that all works. And it's interesting. I mean, there's some farmers who, you know, they're just small farmers and it's just passed down generation. They don't do much with it. Mm-hmm. But then there's some of these farmers who just like, man, they're just like, they've, they've got it down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised nobody goes and tries to recruit farmers for, the, for their trading firms anymore. Or do they? Uh, I don't know. You know, I got a, I got a friend in town who's like a, a broker, like a, a commodities broker, and he works with a lot of farmers. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> he's just always complaining that they don't listen to me. They, they lose money and they say, how did this happen? Did you listen to your broker? So, <laughs> well, speaking of uh, losing money, then are, are there any like key big expensive lessons that you point to or you can look back on and, and like say like, hey, this was a key moment in my development. I learned something very valuable here. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh. So many times. I know, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now, well, I'll, I'll fast forward and then I'll rewind a little bit here um, like this nonlinear choose your own adventure, which I'll talk about later. Don't let there we go. Nice. All right. <laughs> uh, but you know, like now I work with a lot of, uh, retail traders. I started a trader education company, market taker mentoring. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I tell people learn from your successes, but also your failures and your failures probably end up teaching you a whole lot more. I, uh, yeah, we've been a big proponent of that. Um, it's only a failure if you, I, I say, if you fail to actually learn the lesson that it presents to you, if you ignore the lessons, then it was completely worthless and it is absolutely a failure at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, the, and one thing about that though, is that the market is like a cruel, expensive and not very good teacher. <laughs> right. <laughs> doesn't tell me when to take notes. It doesn't. Right. Like, what are you trying to tell me? Speak plainly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, I see I did this wrong because I lost a bunch of money, but 
can you tell me what I did wrong? And the, the com- computer screen with the chart on it doesn't answer. No, no, <laughs> never does. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's important to have a, a community. And uh, I'm sure people who listen to your show uh, know that because you built this community here. So, yeah. Uh, it's a huge part of what we do. I think you need, you have to have somebody that you can one, hold you accountable to, uh, to, to show like, you know, Hey, these are the things that I'm doing. These somebody to, that can pop up and be like, Hey, um, maybe stop shorting the top there, uh, on a strong <laughs> bull move. Like that's yeah. probably not the best move. You know? <laughs> there's things like that, but then there's also the idea sharing, like being able to get exposure to like the way to other people see the markets, I think is huge. Uh, like it may not be something that you ever use, but just getting exposure to it and being able to pick and choose the things that you like, I think is, is huge. And that's what makes a community so great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is. Um, cause you know, like one thing that we talk about in, in our community is that like every trader trades different mm-hmm. people come to a market taker and they expect to, for me to make them into another me, but I mean, it's just not possible. And it's not cause I'm smarter or better or prettier or anything. I might be prettier, but wow. Wow. (laughs) We'll let the audience judge that. (laughs) Good good thing. There's no video, I guess. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you know, just everybody approaches trading from their own background, their own uh, life experiences, not even just trading experiences. Yeah. Like how you deal with money. Like, uh, are you risk averse? Are you risk tolerant? Are you, do you have a lot of trauma that you're having to that's going to manifest itself like in your trading that you're going to have to work through and figure out how to work around or with or modify? Yeah, yeah. It's um it's it's always a unique journey for every trader for sure. All right, but the big lessons that you learned, we we kind of oh. we kind of missed those. Oh goodness. I mean, one of them is I kind of think it's something that I was somehow born with because i think there is some nature to it mm-hmm. as opposed to all nurture and it's just this idea oh no i know where i i, I know where i learned this lesson uh, <laughs> this sounds like a good one <laughs> yeah so I, I learned it before being a trader so like this idea that it's it's not about having all your trades work out uh mm-hmm. and, and that ends up being just a complete fool's errand if if that's your objective uh it has little or nothing to do with that. Uh, in fact, there's some traders who can have, uh, you know, like a 30% win rate and mm-hmm. just print money because it's a system. Yep. And I guess I probably learned that lesson when I started on the trading floor, when I started as a runner, I was making $9,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, like nine. That doesn't sound like good money even back then. No. So I had to work a lot of odd jobs and one of them was being a cold caller. Mm-hmm. Which is just demoralizing. Oh, my goodness. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. Um, but, you know, you call 50 people in an hour and a bunch of them hang up on you and they swear you and they threaten you, which actually does happen or did happen. Yeah. And, you know, you just get used to this idea that it's really not about the people who hang up. It's about the, the leads you pass on to the broker you're calling for or something like that. And you get your commission on it. That's actually such a great analogy as yeah, you're calling 50 people and maybe one of them you pass on, but that one person is what makes you your money. Like, yeah. As yeah. long as your risk to reward ratios are, are uh, you know, look good or have the right numbers behind them, like you can survive with a much lower win rate. Yep. Yep. Uh, oh, I mean, another lesson. Um, 
I remember, uh, okay, so this is, you know, not to bring it down a notch here or anything, but um, uh, 9-11, the, the 9-11 mm. um, came into the trading floor. You know, I was listening to the radio on the way in and it's like, oh, Jesus, kind of weird. I didn't, I didn't think anything of it at the time, though, you, you know, and then got down onto the trading floor and realized what was going on. So I, you know, I left, went home to be safe because it's a very public building. Yeah, not the kind of thing you want to go start slinging contracts around in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if uh, folks remember this, but the market was closed for uh, a week after that. And uh, I remember my my risk manager, Bob, called me a couple days in and he's like, hey, so, you know, I'm just checking in with you. Like, how do your positions look for when the market opens? And, I, you know, I'm looking at my positions and I'm like, uh, you know, probably fine. I'm pretty flat. Mm -hmm. Uh, but one of the things I didn't account for is I had like carnival cruise lines. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, that were, that was one of the ones that was really adversely affected. And there were some, some puts that I was short. I was probably short them from months and months ago and they were hedged, but they were so far out of the money that because of gamma for your more advanced listeners, mm -hmm. you know, like the, it was a pretty small hedge as it goes down, you get more and more hedge, but you end up losing mo money from the curvature of the chart. So, right. So anyway, I, I, I didn't really think too much of it. And then it ended up opening down like 22% or something like that to the following Monday. Right. And I was like, Oh, well, there's $320,000 that I'll it's going to take me a while to see again. Uh, <laughs> that's a tough one, though, because that's not exactly something that you can really plan for, is it? I mean, the markets were closed. You had nothing you really could have done unless you'd foreseen it happening. Well, I mean, I guess that that's where this part of the lesson comes from. Like after the fact, no, you can't do anything. Mm -hmm. But there's uh, something that people talk about a lot in option trading, especially black swan events. Yep. And, and that was one of them. And it's very important to know that these things can happen. If you're putting on positions where you grind out profits steadily and steadily and steadily, but if this one highly unexpected event happens, you get annihilated. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you only trade for a month, then it probably won't happen. But if you make a career out of it, it's going to happen one day. Yeah. If you're 20 years in the markets, you're going to see some shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just look at what we've seen in the last like five years. I mean, there's been yeah. quite a few interesting events that have happened. Indeed. Okay. So I've been uh, diving into, uh, like I started a new series with uh, Eric Smolinski. I don't know if you've ever come across him. Uh, ES Invest is his brand name. Mm -hmm. He does a lot of options, uh, educational stuff. And we've been doing this series where he's been teaching me over the last, like, I don't know, probably three months or so that we've been doing this. So one of the strategies that I've been working on is selling options premium into earnings, uh, trying to capture the volatility collapse mm -hmm. or the the contraction. And it's kind of the same thing there. Like one bad decision could wipe out the entire trading account if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. So trying to navigate or figure out the way to manage that risk has been something that I've been exploring over the last you know month or so. Do I do it with position sizing? And that's kind of the way I've leaned towards. Uh, I can try to buy wings, but you don't want to protect yourself from a black swan event at every opportunity because they're so infrequent that you just end up bleeding money out of the potential returns. You just almost have to kind of eat those when they happen, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I have I have an earnings trading system that involves selling premium. It's uh, it's mostly with time spreads, but it's like there, there's a lot of criteria. It's a very specific setup, mm-hmm. and you know, even that that system's pretty tight and and has a very consistent win rate. But yeah, you're right. Like even with a limited risk time spread, you're still going to have some lemons now and then. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so really, I mean, you just kind of have to take your lumps, right? Just make sure that you're never putting yourself out there so much that that one event is going to bankrupt you completely. Yeah, right. That's kind of the lesson, right? Yeah, yeah. We call it risk of ruin. Mm, that's a good phrase. I like that. Yeah. So you've been you've been teaching for quite some time now. It's uh, I was looking through kind of like your history and like you joined the CBOE in 2005 as an instructor. You've worked with a lot of retail and institutional traders. I'm curious about your experiences uh, doing that. Like, what are some of the the key things that you've taught people that have really resonated with them? Like, what are some of the questions that you you tend to get more frequently? Well, one of the I mean, just to have a general category here. One of the things that's really a tenet of everything that we teach and everything we think about is, I mean, it's a couple of things. One is that this is an edge-based endeavor. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we're not going in there because we know we're going to be right. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about probabilities. Yes, it's all about probabilities. And, you know, it's kind of like the old, uh, if you took a statistics 101 class, if we played this game where I flip a coin and every time heads comes up, I give you a dollar, how much would mm-hmm. you pay to play that game? Right. If I don't have to pay when it flips tails? Uh, yeah, you don't have to pay when it flips oh. tails. I, I, how much money do I have? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Well, per flip, right? I, like, yeah. Per flip, I mean, there there is a right answer there, but I'll tell you what. A lot of people, when they are first posed that question to you know, they're like, wait, oh, I have to pay. Oh, no, I'm not going to pay. It's like well, <laughs> there is a value here. You either win a dollar or you or nothing happens like this is this is a good game at a certain price. Right, right, right. And to me, that's what option trading is about. Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot more moving parts uh, and it can be trickier. But um, we use volatility is is a great source of edge for option trading. I'm so glad to hear you say that. And that's actually on my list here because yeah. uh, there's so many people out there who talk about options, who look like they're legit and you bring up volatility to them and it just blank eyes. Like they've never even thought about it. It's like, <laughs> how can you be an options trader and not know anything about volatility? Yeah, I know. And uh, yeah, I hear, I hear people, I come across people like that too on YouTube where there's like animated dollars flying around and all that (laughs) baloney. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, like, yeah, like here's a perfect example of how volatility factors into option trades. So, uh, long ago, I mean, this was a long time ago. Oh my gosh. This is when, uh, Apple first launched their, uh, what was the iPad? I think it was. Mm, okay. And so uh, I was working with one of my students and um, this was right before Apple was about to have earnings the following Monday, I guess it was. And uh, she said, Hey, look, my son wants to play Apple's earnings. And he, you know, he, he thinks that they're going to go up. He's really studied it. And uh, he wants to know what call strike to buy. I said, Oh, here's what you should do. You should tell him to study options for six months and uh, then uh, think about it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and so, uh, you know, so anyway, you know, there's back and forth. So I'm emailing with kid and he was smart. Like he knew mm-hmm. like the middle names of all Steve jobs as kids. If he has more than one, I mean, it was a very, very good assertion of, you know, like it was a freaking novella. This guy emailed. <laughs> and uh, and and he was realistic too he's like look you know i think there's a 20 percent chance of overshooting 40 percent chance of me being you know in this range 20 percent. oh wow of me being so he put a lot more thought into that than most people do oh yeah 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 and so he's like what do you think and i emailed him back one one word question volatility <laughs> <laughs> and so long story short he goes and he he buys some calls and lo and behold, he was right. Mm-hmm. Apple was up uh, like a lot. I don't know, 15%, 20%. I forget what it was. Um, it was 11 bucks. So I guess we could do the math backwards. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. 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 So he buys calls. The stock is up massively. And guess how much money he made? Very little. <laughs> Zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I forget he either made or lost a nickel. I forget. Um, right. Because, you know, he made the money on direction on what we call Delta. Uh, it was just over the weekend. I mean, it's not really timed K on it or theta, but the volatility collapsed because it gets so high going into earnings like like what you mm-hmm. trade. And he was on the wrong side of that. You're you know, you're arguably on the right side of it, but he was buying options. And even though he was so right directionally, he called it perfectly when the volatility collapsed, that sucked away all of his profits. So when you when he when you first posed the question that he asked you about what strike should he buy, my first thought was is you should be going as deep in the money as you can or buying shares. Yes. <laughs> if you if you are that convicted on direction, like you need something that is not gonna have you need to minimize volatility's impact on this trade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which of course would have been a great way to do it because your Vegas get smaller with uh, mm-hmm. really in the money options. So right. Uh so what did he learn? Did he go back and study? Is he still trading or is that kind of, did that dissuade him from the, uh, the idea of continuing? Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> His mom told me what happened and you know, I never look back, uh, you know, who knows? Well, um, what about some of the other people that you've, uh, mentored? Cause you do a lot of that with uh, your new company, the market takers. Uh, what are some of the common issues that you help people, uh, navigate? Yeah. I mean, we work with, beginner traders, intermediate traders. We've trained people to become professional traders. Kind of our sweet spot is sort of that um, people who have tried option trading uh, and maybe they haven't been able to make it work or they made it work Mm -hmm. okay or they make it work, but they know they can do better. Um, And I mean, aside from setting up trades with that, I mean, there's really two parts to trading. If you can master these two things, you're going to be a great trader. A, trade with edge. Mm-hmm. When you get into it, be manage your risk. Mm-hmm. That's it. I mean, I don't want to oversimplify here, but it, it that's as simple that's simple as it gets. It's as complex right. as it gets. What's the saying? Profits are a byproduct of good risk management. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> and just this idea of having a plan, having a trading plan, following your trading plan. That's the yeah. that's the one that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, what they say, the enemy seldom agrees with your plan. (laughs) (laughs) So how, how do you go about helping people learn 
about edge because that is a tough one because you kind of almost you either have to spend a lot of time back testing strategies in order to prove that there's something there then you have to forward test it and prove that you can replicate your back testing results mm-hmm. like how do you get people because a lot of people seem to resist putting in that kind of work they get in thinking that this is going to be oh i'm just going to sit at the computer for a couple hours i'm going to bang out a thousand dollars knock off and, and spend it and have fun yeah well i mean some of that is just some market darwinism that occurs but i know right <laughs> <laughs> um i mean it, it's like anything else if you put in no effort you get nothing out of Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, um, as, as far as doing the back testing and the forward testing and all that, like that's great, great stuff to put in. In addition to that, looking at just the option Greeks and, and thinking through what is the best way to structure this position? Mm, talk to me more about that. Do you have any examples? Yeah, like let's piggyback off the, uh, the Apple kids example that I used. Okay. He had a very, very strong, well thought out forecast, probably put in a lot of time and effort, Mm -hmm. but he chose the wrong way to trade it. Yeah. Had he done something, I mean, had he sold puts or sold a put spread, I mean, he would have made, he would have made money. Yeah. Uh, Had he bought a call debit spread and, and got the short strike just right, which was in line with his forecast, what happened. So he probably would have, mm-hmm. uh, he would have, he would have killed it. He would have made a ton of money. Mm-hmm. So as far as capturing the edge, I mean, there's a number of sources and really, I mean, they're all related to having the Greeks of the position that, that you need to, mm-hmm. if I want to capitalize on direction and I, I have a high degree of confidence in that directional forecast, like you were pointing out, I want as big a delta as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm going to hold the position for a long time, I don't want to suffer by seeing my options decay in value as time passes, which they do. Mm-hmm. So I want to minimize that time decay, whether that's doing an option selling position or hedging it off by doing a vertical spread. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, volatility is the one that's very, very overlooked by people. Hey, look, is volatility right now underpriced or overpriced? Um, there's there's a saying out there, um, the only way to make money in options is by selling them. Yeah, I've heard that. I don't believe that to be true either. I've seen people do just fine in both ways. Yeah, yeah. And like where that comes from is that like, I don't know, if you just go shotgun approach and close your eyes and over a 30-year period, do nothing but sell options in a limited risk sort of way might work Mm -hmm. because there has tended to exist in most market regime, volatility regimes, what we would call an insurance premium where people are willing to pay just a little bit more for options than they should be worth to have an insurance policy. Right. Right. And, and so often, more often than not, they, they are overpriced and it's better to be a seller but not always. Right. <laughs> well, and you got to think too, from like the perspective of what it actually means to buy and to sell an option. If you're buying an option, you're limiting your risk, but you have unlimited potential uh, or potentially. Uh, if you're the seller, you've got the opposite profile of that. Of course, you're going to take more money to sell that because it's going to be worth your while. I mean, the math needs to work out for you too. <laughs> yep. 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 And um, 
brings me to uh, a fair point as well. So thinking about the delta, theta, and vega of it, super important, but also just exactly like like you said too, just look at that good old fashioned profit and loss diagram. <laughs> and and is this a, a risk scenario that not just am I willing to live with, but is this a risk scenario that really fits what my forecast is, knowing that we could have this black swan event? Do I want to be short naked calls here? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not. Right, right. <laughs> Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back. Fresh off a rebrand and ready to help is Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. So... Um, we've talked a little bit about the Greeks and I don't know that we've ever really spent a whole lot of time kind of just talking through like what they are and how they're useful. Uh, maybe you want to spend a little bit of time going over some of that stuff if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, one of my favorite things to talk about. I, I, I figured if you wrote a book on it. <laughs> <laughs> so when we look at an option trade and think about all the things that can happen, Mm-hmm. It, it can seem overwhelming. It can seem like, oh, well, you know, the Fed could announce this surprise thing. Uh, the company can find a cure for cancer. We could find out the CFO's cooking the books. Uh, I mean, there's a million things, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but we can just lump all that directional stuff into direction. Okay. If, if, if I put on a bullish bet, I'm going to be right or I'm going to be wrong. It's, it's direction. And so we measure that basket of directional risk with delta. And all delta is, is look, if the underlying stock or ETF goes up and I own a call, how much am I going to make on that call? Mm -hmm. All else held constant because there's, there's other things too. All else held constant options lose value as time passes. Yep. And so if I'm going to hold an option for a long time and it's a long option, I know that it's got to go up enough to make enough money on Delta to cover what I lose on the time premium decaying on it in Theta. Yep. Or do I want to take advantage of that by being a seller? Mm-hmm. And if I do that, am I doing it in such a way where I'm selling just a naked put and taking a bigger chunk and not paying for that black swan insurance? Or am I doing it in such a way where I actually hope to get a sign because I'm looking at it as a way into the stock? Mm-hmm. And then then and then there's volatility, which is the one that, yeah, I've experienced that too. So many people just overlook. It's such a weird thing too, because it's like the one thing that you cannot predict. Like yeah. it's when you look at the way the options are priced, that's the unknown that all the models are trying to predict. And that should be the spot where you should be looking for 
inefficiencies. Like you, that's where there's chances for more people to be wrong and you to be able to capitalize on those mistakes. Mm-hmm. And like, that's one thing that I'm known for saying, like, and this, this flies in the face of what almost everyone else believes about options. What's that? Implied volatility is always wrong. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's a bold people, statement. People will tell you that implied volatility is the market's way of predicting the future volatility of the stock, but that's bullshit. It's just not right. Mm-hmm. What implied volatility is is it's it's a measure of supply and demand. And I mean, look, if there's a some guru out there who's great at marketing and has a newsletter that uh, has 5,000 subscribers and says, you should be buying calls in this. And 5,000 people all buy a 10 lot of calls on average, 50,000 calls being purchased. That doesn't necessarily have anything to do with direction. That newsletter guy who's good at marketing might be terrible at at predicting direction. (laughs) Okay. Okay. But but what that does is it forces the volatility up. Mm Mm-hmm all else held constant. It makes those options overpriced and in some cases way overpriced. Oh, so you're saying that the more people that want it, the higher implied volatility is going to be. And that's all that's really indicating is that more people are trying to buy this strike. Yes. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so like what that does is that gives us in a, the, you know, gives the people in the know an advantage um, and, and a big one. Mm hmm. Because what it does is it guides the type of option position that we structure. It tells us, look, should I be positive Vega or negative Vega here? Or should I just be hedged Vega, Vega neutral? Because mm-hmm. when implied, I mean, I'm looking at a chart here of uh, spiders right now. I'm looking back on uh, October 27th, where we were up in the VIX, uh, VIX was somewhere around 23 then way over historical volatility, very overpriced. And what happens? We With volatility, we have what's called a reversion to the mean. Mm-hmm. So the following two weeks after that, it just got crushed, crushed, crushed down to 16. And anybody who was short options there, even if you were, the market went up after that, even if you were like bearish, you might not have lost too much money if you were short options, because you would have made so much on implied volatility, yeah, depending on the position structure, but still. Right, right. Ah, oh, man, that's uh that's kind of a fascinating way of looking at it. I I don't know that I'd consider that before, but I like that. I'm, I'm going to start, I think, thinking about it that way going forward. What are some other uh, things like you you mentioned earlier in the episode uh, talking about like gamma and and how that can affect things? Gamma is one of the tricky ones. That's the Gamma is describing how delta changes. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it sure is one of the trickier ones. And one of the reasons why it's tricky is because for a a retail trader who is anybody who's not a professional trader, Mm -hmm. if you're trading a five lot or a 10 lot or a 20 lot, you're not really even going to be able to measure gamma. Like the, the numerical value almost means nothing to you. but you still need to understand the concept and looking at, at risk diagrams, profit and loss diagrams that uh, your broker should draw out for you. If you have a options friendly broker, 
<laughs> um, it's, it's just sort of the curvature of that line. It's like, oh, okay. So yeah, I've got this bull call spread. I'm long the 50 strike short, the 60 strike. I know from reading the basic books that if it goes to 60, I hit my maximum profit. But if it goes there today and there's still two weeks until expiration because of gamma, you don't make your maximum profit. You've got to, you've got to wait because now you're, I've noticed that. Okay. So that's what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, gamma is definitely one of the, one of the trickier ones. So what's a good resource if people wanted to learn more about it? Uh, I assume your book would be one. Uh, are there any other places that you'd point people towards? Um, well, I mean, our classes, uh, I mean, that, mm -hmm. that's, we talk a great deal about the Greeks and volatility and position structuring and, and risk management. And just, I mean, looking online, you can get a, a, a nice superficial feel for it too, um, without having, you know, the, the actual training of how to actually use these. Um, but it, it's a good start if, if somebody's not familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Investopedia has a lot of good information on there, but it's not going to be very detailed because it's really just the high level overview of that kind of stuff. So if you want to get like a real like deep dive into how these things work, you're probably going to have to go outside of what's free. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean, Hey, look, it's like anything else. Uh, uh, I, I mean, over the past five years, I've spent well over a hundred thousand dollars on my personal development, I guess you'd call it, uh, classes for not for option trading, uh, you know, I've done that for 30 years or whatever it is, uh, 25, 26 years, but just on other things, you know, how to communicate information more effectively so I can help people better. You, 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 you get what you pay for, whatever it is. I think I just asked you about the journey that traders go on. Like you've worked with a lot of traders over different paths in their careers or the different points in their journeys. Like if you want to kind of speak about like the typical path a trader takes to profitability. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that, uh, for most people, it takes a little bit to click mm -hmm. and there's certain hang up points for a good percentage of people. Just wrapping your head around puts, uh, ends up being a little bit tricky. Mm -hmm. And it's probably because when you're young and you, talk to a financial advisor, you take economics in high school, which I don't know if they do that anymore, but they should. They did what I was in, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, same, same. <laughs> they talk about the market going up and investing in companies and buying puts is, of course, uh, puts grow in value when the market falls. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a little bit reluctant to say it's a bearish position because it can be used as a hedge which I would argue is maybe not a bearish position when you look at the position as a whole, but multiple uses, I think we can say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's one place where people get hung up. Uh, also, the idea like we talked about before, where it's not about being Nostradamus and, mm -hmm. and being right every single time. It's about playing the statistical game. Uh, another's about getting edge. And the biggest one is is the having a plan and following it. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> yes. And and this is a funny story. I had a a guy who's been a, a longtime student of mine and 
and he's had some struggles for various reasons. Some of it has to do with just his uh, work life uh, mixing with trading. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of, you know, a lot of conflict there. Um, And so I said, okay, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down a trading plan, Mm -hmm. write it out, write it out very, very detailed. And then I want you to write down a plan for following your plan. Interesting. Yeah, because it's kind of like I said before, or, or actually Mike Tyson said it best. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, because anybody can write out a plan, but those emotions like when, you know, the trade goes massively against you and you go on tilt and and mm-hmm. you get frustrated or you get greedy when it's going your way and you don't, you say, oh, I'll just let it go a little longer. Or you forget you had a trade on and you sleep in or, I mean, there's a million things that go wrong. Right. And they are all going to go wrong. So not just having that plan, but knowing that you have real, I mean, really it is a plan to follow your plan. Yeah. I kind of want to talk a little bit more about that. So let's go back to the first, the trading plan. Like what should a good trading plan encapsulate or what should be in that? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, the first thing is to do a little soul searching and understanding who you are as a trader. Mm -hmm. What is your risk tolerance? What is your emotional response versus pure logical response? What is your capitalization? How big should you be trading? How do you quantify that? Mm -hmm. Um, Which we tend to do, we should do return on risk. How much am I risking? Uh, Because with options, it's not, that's not necessarily how much money you're paying, how much you're risking could be vastly different than how much it costs to put the trade on. Yeah. Assuming you follow that, uh, risk management plan, actually exit when you say you're going to. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, and then once you've got that down, what your goals are. Mm, okay. Cause we have worked with student traders who, you know, like there's one guy who is 80 years old and had a $10 million account and just wanted to beat the S and P 500. Mm-hmm. And, and make sure he protects his nest egg. Uh, there's another guy who was a 23-year-old race car driver who wanted to be very aggressive, but do it in a smart smart way and manage risk. Mm-hmm. These two people are going to have t- totally different plans. Right. So, uh, yeah, knowing what your goals are. And then once you've got that all down, like also then you have to layer on top of that what is my lifestyle like? Hmm. Do I wake up every morning at the same time and ha- have the same thing for breakfast and sit down at my computer at the same time? And I'm always alert. Uh, you know, bless you if if that is. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> always been a night owl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do I have a sixty-hour-a-week job where I'm? out in the field or doing surgery or something like that. And if I have a position on, uh, first of all, I'm not even going to know it's going against me. Right. And if I do know it's going against me, there's nothing I can do about it. Mm -hmm. Well, then that's going to come into your plan too. You're going to have to have in these good till cancel profit taking orders, either alerts or stop orders, depending on what type of uh, option trade you're using. Probably that's going to dictate to the time frames that you're going to be working on. You can't be intraday scalping if you're going to have a nine to five job. You're going to have to look for more like long term swing type positions. Right, 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 right. 
Yeah, and and then this thing about a plan to follow your plan too, like that that that's a whole nother level of getting to know yourself. Yeah, what what can you give some examples on that? Like, what do you mean? Does that include like stop loss plans, like what to do if yeah. you don't do certain things, or is that something else? Yeah, it's uh well, there's okay. So I mean, there's a few great examples. One example is this one guy that I know who has this job where like on Fridays, he just absolutely like he's on call for this thing. Like mm -hmm. it's a, like a very important counseling thing. And if somebody comes in with a problem, he's got to be, down, he's got to be there. He's got to be there. Yeah. And so you could say, Hey, if this happens, I'm going to go to my computer and do this, but you might not be able to do that. Right. So let's go back and review that plan so that, you're not setting yourself up for failure. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, of course, like the uh, cancel of close orders is what I like to call them. Cancel, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I've done that before. <laughs> I bought these calls at nine, and if it goes up to 12, I'm going to take my profits. It's like, oh, no, but wait a minute. It's almost at 12.50. Why don't we just go up to there now? Yep. <laughs> like, oh, that's looking good. Maybe I'll just move my stop to break even and we'll go up to, you know, the next level. Yep. Yeah. So the next day when it gaps lower 50% and blows through your stop and winner turned into a loser. One thing, I mean, people seem to always think about the entries and try to get the entry. They spend so much time focusing on that, but they don't spend nearly enough time. And I know I've been guilty of this in the past of thinking of the exit plan. And it's kind of the same thing that you've been harping on. Like, if you don't have a plan, if you haven't thought about all these scenarios, like, how are you going to trust yourself to make those decisions in the moment when you haven't thought about them or considered them? Like, how are you going to make a rational choice in that moment when those emotions are charged and, you know, the stresses are elevated and all that? Yeah, you are never going to make a rational choice when the emotions are charged. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's by definition. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Rational means there is no emotion right. involved. So, yeah, the only way to do that is to is to have the parameter set and just know, oh, this happens, I do this. This happens, I do this. Okay, done. Nothing more to think about. There's one other aspect, too, that I'd like to get your thoughts on, because uh, I think a lot of people get hung up on the perfection aspect too. Like they want everything to be like all the scenarios thought of, but as you mentioned, like 20 year career, if that's kind of what you're going for, you're not going to be able to think of all those things. You almost just have to go with the best that you can do now and make it a living, breathing document where you can update it with the new information as it becomes available. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, perfection kills trades. Mm-hmm. I had a student trader who was a surgeon and this guy, he was right brain and left brain. Like he was, he was a unicorn in a lot of ways, <laughs> uh, especially for surgeons. Uh, and, and he was such a wise person and unicorn that he actually understood why most surgeons, and I'm sorry to, you know, stereotype here, but you know, a lot of people in that position don't make good traders. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason that he proposed is that your surgeon, you've got to always be right. Yeah. Same thing with like engineers. Like you can't just guess at a, you know, safety factor. You got to get that right. Otherwise that bridge is going to come down. Yeah. Yeah. 
And they come from a spot where there is a right answer. That's the other tough thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it's not impossible for anybody to become a successful trader, but some people's brains are more predisposed to thinking about it the right way. And some people's brains are more predisposed to thinking about it the wrong way just because of your background and mm-hmm. the knowledge that's already in your head, the way your neurons ended up getting wired from your past life experiences. So which backgrounds have you seen have the most success? Just out of curiosity, statisticians and quantum theorists, maybe <laughs> people who deal with probabilities all day. <laughs> Honestly. I, so there's, there's three that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is uh, stereotypically pilots make good traders. Really? Oh, because of the high stress and being able to stay calm in those situations? And because they have a checklist. They're so, oh, yes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, you know, I've never been a pilot. I never studied or anything, but um, I, I, I had a couple of students who are pilots and they're like, yeah, if this happens, the manual says to do this. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do. Um, so that's one. And actually, well, you mentioned this before, but engineers actually do tend to make good traders, Hmm. I guess, because, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I guess the way you put it, like, yeah, if you get it wrong, the bridge comes down, but you know, I mean, I guess that there's like a statistical, you know, if if we're going to use the bridge analogy, Mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, it's going to sway a certain amount. This is the normal amount for it to sway and that's okay. I guess. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't guess know. that kind of makes sense. And they're, maybe they're more used to looking at rotations as less of a, they're, they're less likely to get sucked into the small movements and able to look at the bigger picture easier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was the third one? So this, this is an interesting, this one, when I first heard it kind of caught me off guard and uh, I almost still don't believe it, uh, <laughs> even though I fall into this category, but a uh, musician. Really? Yeah. I've actually met a few. I've I've seen quite a bit of crossover with that. That in professional sports and like military, anything that has discipline. Uh, yes. I've seen a lot of commonalities there too. Yes. But musician yes, yes. is the opposite of what I would have thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I guess it has to do with pattern recognition and. Uh, See, so you put it that way. It makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Because music is very math based too. It is like uh, I'm. Uh, I'm a musician myself. Um, played in a power pop band for, gosh, I don't know, fifteen years or something, a long time. Oh, awesome. Uh, and we played all over. We played London and New York and. Oh wow! So you actually had some success too, then. A, l- a little bit, a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and so, consequently, I you know I read about music and such, and uh, read a really interesting book. I believe it's called Your Brain on Music, and your your brain, pro- your entire brain processes music. Mm-hmm. People think of it as a as a just a right brain activity where it's okay, creative. You know, you you feel it, but mm-hmm. like the you, the back of your brain, the lizard brain part is responsible for rhythm. Um, you know, the right brain has to do with creativity. The amygdala, uh, of course, has a lot to do with that. Um, the emotional aspect of it, the left brain uh, hmm. fits all the beats into a certain measure. So 
you use your whole brain. And I, and I think talking about what we we're talking about structuring positions so that you can get edge, it does sometimes require a little bit of creativity. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes, yeah, I, I can see that. Like there's kind of ebbs or flows and the pattern recognition, I think is a huge point that you made too. Um, wow, man, this has been kind of a, it's been a fun conversation it kind of gotten a little bit all over the place, but I've, I've very much enjoyed it. I think there's a lot of very interesting points that were made throughout this. Do you want to spend just a few minutes telling people where they can go if they want to learn more about some of the stuff that you do? Sure. So I actually created a special link for your listeners. Oh, damn. That's awesome. We love good stuff here. We love, <laughs> love deals and discounts. <laughs> So, so we talked about trading, trading being uh, a journey. And so Bobby, who works with us, who's like just this technology wizard, uh, he created a link markettaker.com slash band. So market like stock market taker, like take what is rightfully yours, two T's in a row. Two T's. Okay. Yeah. Markettaker.com slash band is in band of traders. And it's a choose your own adventure video. Oh, that's what you meant by we'll come back to that. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's kind of fun. And maybe you'll discover something uh, about yourself. Maybe you'll uh, learn about what's out there in option trading. And um, maybe it'll be beneficial to you in a way you might not expect. I, I love that. I'll be checking that out as soon as we hang up here. <laughs> Do you have, uh, where, where can people find your books? Are they on Amazon? Uh, do you have them on the website? Uh, yeah, just head on over to Amazon. Um, and, uh, we've, I've got two, the market takers edge and trading option Greeks. And I'll make sure that those are linked in the show notes. So that way people can find them. Oh, thanks. Any other final thoughts you'd like to leave us with before we wrap up here? Uh, just, Hey, uh, Kyle, thanks so much for having me and, uh, listeners, Thanks for listening. Yeah. Uh, th thanks for taking the time to come out to, to do these. I know they're not uh, easy sometimes, especially when you have a bunch of technical issues like we did today, but yeah. the listeners will not know anything about that. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, that does mean, sadly, that we have come to the end of our time with Dan today, but it's not like this is the first bit of content he's ever created. <laughs> you can follow mm -hmm. him on Twitter at Dan Passarelli. That's D-A-N underscore P-A-S-S-A-R-E-L-L-I. And check out the markettaker.com slash band, or you can grab a copy of one of those options trading books that we mentioned if you want to learn more about how Dan trades. If you enjoyed today's conversation and you're looking for more, visit our guest directory where you can browse all the incredible episodes we've done over the last three years. Be sure to include all of those links in the episode description, so click on them with some vigor. I'll be back soon with another exciting episode, but until then, and this is what I've never finished actually writing up. Uh... Until then, pretend that that five-star rating is oversold and slap the shit out of it. <laughs> Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only does not constitute financial or investment advice and should not be construed as such the hosts guests and contributors of this podcast are not licensed financial advisors brokers or professionals any trading or investment decisions made based on the content of this podcast are solely at the listener's discretion and risk trading and investing in financial markets carry inherent risks and past performance is not indicative of future results listeners should conduct their own research and seek advice from qualified financial professionals before making any financial decisions 
The views, opinions, and information shared in this podcast are those of the individual contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of the podcast creators or associated organizations. Produced by China Shop Productions.